0: Welcome to the Proclaim Podcast, where we sit down with missionary disciples and talk all things around sharing Jesus with others. Our hosts are Brett Powell, Heather Kim, and Jason Jensen. Hey
1: everyone, welcome back to the Proclaim Podcast, and today we got another special guest, Amber Zulk. Amber is a CCO missionary. For how many years, Amber.
0: Going into my 17th year of service.
1: 17 years in missionary. That's wonderful. Also coordinator for the Discover Discipleship program here in the Archdiocese of Vancouver. So Amber, we want to start off, um, and one of the reasons why we want to talk to you about this is because we're inviting people to get engaged in the ministry of evangelization. And some people are already engaged, and they've got some history and some experience. Others are brand new to the game. And once, once they set out on this journey, we know undoubtedly that it's not always going to go well and that's okay. And one of the things that we want to do in this podcast is kind of normalize the journey of an evangelizer. And part of that is normalizing, um, well, I don't want to say failure because I don't think you ever actually fail in evangelization if your heart's in the right place, but you know, just that difficult experience of it not going exactly how you would want. Sure. I'm sure you got some stories, Amber. Why don't you tell us a story of how yeah. it didn't go that well?
0: <laughs> I mean, after 17 years of being on campus and working in ministry, there's countless stories of failures. I could think of many opportunities that I missed, um, particularly moments that I missed just because I, I chickened out or I was afraid of broaching the subject or bringing something up or, or even just like completing the the situation or bringing bringing to completion the the proclamation of the gospel or the invitation. To make a commitment, but when I was thinking about it, one particular story came to mind, and that was of a student that I worked with, um, probably in my third or fourth year of being a missionary. And the student was dealing with same-sex attraction, but at the time that I met her, she was really seeking to live chastely and in line with the church. And she became quite involved in our organization, and her and I developed quite a strong friendship. Um, We spent a lot of time together, and uh, really like. I was investing in her thinking that she was going to be a great leader on our campus actually. Um, so it was quite devastating when probably about six months into our relationship that she contacted me to tell me that she, um, was actually pursuing a relationship with another woman. Mm -hmm. And it was really like hard to understand, like how, how to deal with that in a sense. And I look back at it now. And I think in a lot of ways I like, I failed her in, in our friendship. I, um, I didn't know how to how to deal with it, and I didn't know how to um, how to really continue to to love her and support her when she was making decisions that she knew were wrong. And she also recognized that that I had a difference of opinion and saw things differently. And so um, over time, like there was a yeah definitely a drifting away, and uh, and it was just really unclear how to really love and support her in the midst of that. And I think in in my accompaniment of her what i really communicated um what whether like well it wasn't intentional at the time but what i ended up communicating to her was that our relationship was conditional on the on the decisions that she made the actions that she chose mm. um and it was yeah looking back at it i, I wish that i would have done things differently um, cause I think it's really important for people to recognize that in the process of evangelization, that we really genuinely care for them, regardless of the decisions that they make, that we, we love them and we're going to support them regardless of the decisions that they've made. Hmm.
1: So what I hear you saying is in that situation, y- you feel that her decision to walk away or to kind of terminate friendship or whatever was kind of based on this mindset that perhaps you were sub- uh, unconsciously giving to her that, you know if we're going to remain friends you have to remain a certain way you have to believe and do a certain thing
0: Mm -hmm. yeah
1: Hmm. yeah which is interesting because that that happened like you said in your fourth year so that was like 12 or 13 years ago yeah i mean certainly we're going to see more and more of that kind of relationship evangelization now yeah absolutely
0: Yeah, she um, she went on to get married actually um, to that to the woman that she had pursued the relationship with, and recently got divorced and reached out to me, which was really interesting. That after things ended in that relationship, that she still even mm. after all these years like reached out. Mm. So, in some ways, I guess it wasn't a complete failure if she still felt that she could trust me enough to reach out to me when things fell apart again. So,
2: wow, and grace yeah. goes grace goes beyond mm. you. You know, I think yeah. that's the, that's the other part of it is yeah. um, the Lord is faithful, even as we learn and make mistakes and things like
1: that. So
0: Absolutely. thanks yeah. for sharing. Yeah. You're very
1: welcome. Yeah. I want to uh, capture some cause it kind of brings up something else and we weren't planning on this, so I'll just get your thoughts on it, but there's this sort of, um, mantra that's out there right now, which I really believe to be true, uh, in evangelization, recognizing that modern man kind of comes to faith primarily through a trusted relationship with a believer. Mm -hmm. And the mantra is belong, believe, behave. And quite often in evangelization, we have that backwards. We want people to behave a certain way and believe a certain thing. And if you do, then you'll belong to the church or you'll belong in my friendship. Like I'm making these things a, a prerequisite to friendship with me. Thank you very much. In your own experience, I mean, why is that important in today's day and age? Belong first.
0: It's a great question. It's um, <laughs> <on> <laughs> a tough one. to kind of put me on the spot, but um, you know what comes to mind to you is is the quote that like modern men will listen more willingly to, to witnesses than to teachers, mm. right? And um, I think that that is is very true as well. That people want to know um, that they can trust you and to see your faith modeled in a way that is relevant and in a way that they can see something that they can emulate as well. So I feel like trust in, is just so foundational in, in relationships um, in general, but especially when we're seeking to bring someone into to the faith and to share Jesus with them. They need to know that they're loved and that they're trusted. And I think in a way, too, um, we model to them the love that Christ has for them. Mm. And if they've never experienced or never known the love of God before, we might be the first ones to to open the door to that possibility by the way that we exemplify love for them.
2: I think too is it's not a, that's not a new paradigm. It's mm. exactly what Jesus did. If you think of Zacchaeus, yeah. he doesn't say, okay. Hey, if you, if you believe stuff, I'll come have dinner with you tonight. He says, tonight I'm going to, we're going to hang out and definitely not part of the religious, religiously accepted people at the time. You know, this tax collector is definitely ostracized and, mm-hmm. um, and he goes has dinner with him encounters Jesus you know in the flesh mm. and uh, and says hey I'm gonna, this is what I'm gonna do I'm gonna give away um, I think it's half I can't remember yeah. half of what I what I have yeah um, and then he says today salvation has come to this house and it's the models right there let's eat together yeah. which is the most profound part of belonging especially in Jewish culture is to eat in somebody's home um he sees jesus for who he is with eyes of faith
1: yeah
2: and then he then he changes his behavior and i feel um i know when i started evangelizing um in youth ministry the pressure to have these kids Mm. believe the right thing was so high that i probably made kind of the same same mistakes of um you know, being so focused on behavior and belief, yeah, that that belonging um, was conditional, and I feel, you know, oh, that hurts me to say, yeah, but but Jesus is always belong first, yeah, um,
1: belong, believe, Ooh. behave. So it's a, it's really important to put it in that proper context. You're mm. right. I mean, that is how Jesus. That was his modus operandi in terms of relationship, and that's eventually what got him in trouble. I mean, the Pharisees didn't like the fact that he was hanging out with. With uh, sinners and prostitutes, and you know, friend of sinners, and yet that's exactly if if I could, I just think it's so part and parcel with being a missionary. Like having a missionary heart is not about proclaiming a message, although it is. Like we've got a gospel, we've got life giving words that will bring you know conversion and, and faith. But the start of it is just to have a heart for people and to make room for them. In your lives and all the messiness that that Mm. you know involves and what's what's interesting is is that a lot of a lot of people if they know you're kind of religiously minded they almost have this default thinking that you won't want to be friends with me because i don't you know agree with you or behave in the way and man when you can come into somebody's life and just love them like i just think it's Mm. such a compelling part of our witness you know to just Take them for what they are. Yeah, it's this
2: unexpected part, and these walls just yeah they go down. down. I think if we and people can smell agendas, right? Mm -hmm. And uh, I think that belonging is (laughs) coming without an agenda. Yeah, and uh, or the agenda is really it's love, and people can tell, hey, you you know, I can I can just see that ultimately you have my love and my best intentions at heart, and the the Holy Spirit starts to make way yeah. for the the conversation that mm. could happen eventually, but I, yeah, yeah, we should feel pressure to make people belong, not to make people behave.
1: Right. Wow, that's an interesting. Yeah, you should repeat that. That's worthy of repetition.
2: So I feel like as disciples, we should feel the pressure to help people feel like they belong, but we shouldn't feel pressure to change how they behave.
1: Hmm. That's good. Hmm. Amber, we want to hear your story. How does Amber become, not how does she become a missionary, but obviously you've lived life and you've got a story. So tell yeah, us your faith journey.
0: For sure. So um, I grew up in rural Saskatchewan and in a, in a Catholic home where my dad was not practicing his faith and my mom was a convert and she was still learning a lot about her faith. Um, being in rural Saskatchewan, we also like, didn't uh, didn't see our priest very regularly, so about once a month we'd see the priest. However, we had a Protestant pastor in our town um, who had a real heart for the children of town, and so he started a Wednesday Bible school. So after school was over in elementary years, um, after school was over on Wednesdays, everybody went over to his church, um, and that was really foundational for me. I learned a lot about the importance of having relationship with Jesus, um, reading and memorizing scripture all those things became really foundational to me as a young a young girl so all of that was certainly yeah where where things kind of began for me um, in, a, in a simple way as a young child um, but i would say probably a more profound encounter for me happened when I was um, a teenager so in my around 16 um, there's a lot of things in my life that were were going really badly (laughs) or were just really stressful. Um, So my grandfather passed away and that was the first like close relative to me that had died. Um, My dad was really struggling with addiction. As a result, my parents um, separated. Uh, We left the small town that i had grown up in and moved into the city. Um, I also reunited with my biological family around the same time and I was struggling with clinical depression. So it was just this perfect storm of all Mm -hmm. these big things happening in my life at the time. And in the midst of everything being, like, out of control, I felt the need to really step in and and take control of everything that I could in my life. And, well, let's just say that didn't work out so well either. Um, So I was invited by a friend in high school to go to a a youth retreat or a youth conference over the weekend, a big Protestant youth rally that happens in Saskatchewan every February, with a couple thousand teens that come out that um, and I remember sitting in the chapel on the Saturday nights of that event, and the pastor who was preaching was speaking about this verse in First Peter that says, cast all of your cares to Jesus because he cares for you. And I just remember sitting in that chapel with the weight of the world on my shoulders, just feeling so burdened by all of these things that were weighing me down, all of these things that I had been trying to control. I was really anxious and worried about a lot of things. And I recognized in that moment this this desire and this need to really invite Jesus to to take those things and to carry them for me. And so I had this really profound moment of prayer. They, you know, they invited people that wanted to make a commitment to Christ to put their hand up and somebody from their team came to pray with me. But what I remember is after that person left, it was almost as if Jesus remained seated right next to me. And mm-hmm. there was this this dialogue about all these different things in my life. And Jesus was just inviting me, like, will you, will you trust me with, with this particular struggle, with this relationship with your, with your father, with um, even certain teachers that I'd been really struggling with, like the Lord, I remember him kind of bringing up, like, what about this particular English teacher that you're struggling with? Like, will you trust me to, to work things out there? And it was one of the first times that I remember really feeling like I heard the voice of the Lord in my life. Mm. And it was a really, um, yeah, profound moment. I left that conference, not that everything was magically fixed in my life, but I left that conference knowing that I didn't have to carry my burdens and my worries alone. And I left that conference with a with a renewed sense of relationship with Jesus because I'd really encountered Him. And so as I left and as I went back to my daily life, um, I was more committed to daily prayer and scripture reading and really seeking to continue to dialogue with the Lord and to hear His voice. And that really set things in motion in, in my life over the next, well, it's continued, I guess. It's never really mm-hmm. stopped that I've continued to try to seek His voice and to follow Him.
1: Amen. What's interesting is the the part that jumped out at me is that your friend invited you
0: mm-hmm.
1: to come, right? And, yeah. you know, it's just part of your story, but I'm thinking from her perspective, she was probably wrestling. Do I ask Amber? Oh, she'll say no, mm-hmm. or she may not be interested or, you know, whatever. So, but here it is. Somebody, a friend takes a bit of a risk, just invites you to the youth conference. I mean, it's 2000 people, so it's a pretty attractive event and all that, but yeah. you know, she did it. She took the risk. Yeah. And it seemed to work out pretty well.
0: Yeah, absolutely.
1: <laughs> right? The beginning of it. One of the things that we'll frequently talk about the podcast and in other places is this idea that Proclaim is really rooted in some principles and some strategic ministry ideas, if you will. And one of them that comes to mind very clearly is this idea of spiritual multiplication. And the invitation that all of us have to engage in that as a, uh, as a as a way of living out the Proclaim ideals and the Proclaim movement. So why don't you just help us understand what spiritual multiplication really is?
0: For sure. Yeah, one of the best ways to understand it is to, to contrast it to what we would call spiritual addition, which I think is what most of us have experienced in the church. When you mm-hmm. run an event at your church and... Um, people are, are measuring success like what, was this a good event, should we do it again chances are the first thing that people will ask is how many people came mm. right, we have this, uh, this idea that numbers equals success And so in in an addition model, you would have someone who's an evangelist and, you know, just for the sake of easy math, we'll say that this person had the ability to evangelize a thousand people in a day through their preaching. They would, you know, go out and and a thousand people would come to know Jesus every single day. So in a year, you know, 365,000 people, we recognize that like that is miraculous, but it's also pretty unattainable for most people. So we contrast that with spiritual multiplication and in the multiplication model, one person isn't responsible to go out and to evangelize thousands every day, but it's much more simple, less dramatic, and, um, but, but more realistic for most people. And we invite people to consider journeying with one or two people for just a short period of time. Right? You journey with them, all, I guess not. maybe not that short of a period of time, but journey with them for a year or two years. So seek to proclaim the gospel, to help them come to an encounter with Jesus, but then also to equip them to know how to live as a disciple and how to more effectively share their faith with others. And then finally, when that process is coming to a completion, we want to commission them to go out and to repeat the process. So at the end of those two years, now it's just there's not just one evangelist who's seeking to bring people to relationship with Jesus, but now there's three people that go out. And if those three people invest in two people for two more years. Um, at the end of that time, we see nine. So we see that the exp- the growth is exponential. And when we work out the formula, actually, it's for- in 42 years, we could reach the population of the world. Mm-hmm. Now, obviously, mm-hmm. we know that that's idealistic and may not happen exactly as we said. Um, and, you know, people are going to fall short. But in that model, we recognize that the growth is at a much more substantial rate in the long run, and it's much more realistic for people to be in, engaged in that kind of ministry rather than seeking to evangelize large crowds every day.
2: Yeah, and I love I love that you broke it down to math. Hmm. But I think at the mm-hmm. at the heart of it, this is not a math strategy, right? No. Right. <laughs> it's actually uh,
0: one person at a time. Really, one
2: person at a time yeah. makes the difference, right? We don't. Um, relationship is not a one to many Mm. kind of thing, you know, or that's a very limited version of relationship Um, versus I'd rather do life with less people. You know, I think like, Mm -hmm. you know, I don't have the capacity to like let so many people into my life. And I think most people are the same, you know, Mm. we're only going to go through life with a small amount of people and going back to, I'm sure you guys are going to go here, but Jesus' model is not, you know, so you can you can take it from there.
0: Yeah, absolutely. It was totally Jesus's um, Jesus's model of ministry, and when we we look at his approach, he had his twelve disciples who he spent three years of public ministry with. Three years he walked with those men, and even amongst those three or amongst those twelve, we know that he spent more intentional time with Peter, James, and John, and we can imagine that. Probably he spent even more intentional time with Peter, knowing the task that he would entrust him to. Mm -hmm. Um, And so often, you know, I think like when we look at it, Jesus spent three years with those men. And yet in our church today, somehow we think that we can run a 12-week program. And at the end of it, we're going to see like evangelists coming out the other end. Like Mm -hmm. Jesus took three years of walking with those men. So I think sometimes we need to to really take that into account and, and ask ourselves the question, like, how long am I willing to walk with someone? Am I willing to stick with them in the long haul So journey with someone for a year two years, three years? Um, if it took Jesus three years, like what makes me think that I can do it any quicker? Yeah,
1: that's great. One of the things, again, we weren't prepared for this, Amber, so putting you a bit on the spot. But something that's coming to mind for me, because Pope Francis has continually called for the church. Sort of a nuance for Pope Francis around the new evangelization is to take the gospel to the periphery. Mm-hmm. right that it's out there now but for a lot of us as catholics when we hear the word periphery and we think about the church like a lot of our minds i think go to like developing countries you know the periphery mm-hmm. is somewhere far from where we are but really the periphery is that it's it's the distance that people are in relationship to jesus and all of us have relationships very proximate to us we're in relationship with them they're in our family they're in our workplace they're in our community and those people are not practicing the faith they are in essence far from the lord you know john paul ii said that the number of those who do not know christ and do not belong to his church is constantly in the increase since second vatican II, the number has doubled we're already in relationship with those people the periphery is actually more proximate than we think and it comes down to a decision of or perhaps a, a paradigm shift if you will that maybe i'm in relationship with these people and god has ordained this relationship because i've got trust with them they trust me i trust them we've got a good relationship that you know these could be the one or two people that i'm investing in but it's just a, it's a shift in mind right mindset any thoughts on that
0: yeah absolutely like um, like you said, all of us, whether we are aware of it or not, like we're in relationship with the people that Pope Francis would call the periphery, and so, we, and we don't have to think about going on a mission trip to somewhere exotic, or, or even like ministry on the downtown east side for for our own archdiocese. You know, it, it's it is it's the people that are, at, in our workplace, it's our own family members, it's our neighbors. Um, it might even be some of the people that are in the pews on Sunday that. Mm. Um, that are there fulfilling their obligation, but maybe don't know Christ in a personal way. So I think all of us can can really consider that, consider, like, who are the people in my life that God has already given me this relationship with That i might be called to to be more intentional with because we're already in relationship it's not like we're we're stepping out to start a new relationship for the sake of evangelization we're we're in these relationships already we just need to consider how we might intentionally steer those conversations and steer those relationships in a more intentional way towards jesus mm.
2: good news and daunting news you know <laughs> it's sometimes um it's more comfortable to think that, oh, if I want to do evangelization, I'll go over there yeah. where yeah. people don't know me, and I can kind of put on the uh, um, kidding. like not be vulnerable, yeah, but the understanding of like oh we we actually don't have yeah. to go that far to do this is uh um, is great and scary yeah. at the same time, yeah.
0: Yeah, so. I think about our own students on campus, and and how many of them, like when we go on mission projects overseas, they show this incredible boldness in proclaiming the gospel when we're in a foreign country. But then when we come back to our own campuses, mm-hmm. um, th- that boldness is somehow like diminished, and yeah. it's a lot more, a lot more intimidating to to be a witness in your sorority or in your fraternity or in your classes than it is when you're on a mission trip somewhere exotic. Yeah.
1: I mean, again, the Proclaim Movement is going to be continually asking people to, to, you know, pick up the glove and get in the game, you know, start to actually evangelize. That, that uneasiness with it, from my experience, doesn't ever go away. Like, has that nervousness mm-hmm. and all those things that are, you know, happening at a heart level for us, does it go away for you? I mean, you, you're a professional missionary, been so for <laughs> 17 years, right? But you, I imagine you still deal with that.
0: Oh, absolutely. And, you know, and sometimes it's like, it's the people that are closest to you that are hardest, you know, like Mm -hmm. I think of my own family members. Like I have a brother and sister-in-law that I desperately want to come to know the love of the Lord, but it's terrifying to broach the subject with them. Um, And yeah, it's, it's not easy, especially with those that are sometimes closest to you to start those conversations and to be intentional.
1: Yeah. Mm. What have you done? Like, how have you managed that yourself, Amber? Like, you know, is it just, is it just prayer? Is it, you know, what helps you to overcome the the nervousness, the anxiety of it?
0: Yeah, I would say uh, two things. One is certainly prayer, like just mm-hmm. really in those moments when you feel nervous, when you feel anxious, like just calling upon the Holy Spirit, really inviting the Holy Spirit to come and to give you the the courage and the boldness that he gave to the first apostles when he came at Pentecost. So really in those moments, just a calling on the Holy Spirit certainly helps. I think the other other thing that really helps is that the more you do the work of evangelization, the more you see lives changed. Mm. And when you take those steps and you take those risks and you see people coming to know the Lord, it's all worth it. And so when you when you begin to see and you begin to recognize that okay, if I if I take this step like big things can happen, God can work and I've seen him work, then it gives me a greater confidence in those future conversations to know, okay, I've been here before and I know it's scary, but if I take this step, I know that God can do big things. Hmm. And so I'm going to trust him, and I'm going to I'm going to put my faith in him and see what happens if I step out in faith. And and I really, out of love for this person, want to see them come to know the Lord. So it's worth mm-hmm. taking that risk.
1: And you talk about you know you're, you're essentially leaving. You're taking the risk, but you're leaving the results, if you will, to God.
0: And that's something that we often, we talk about when we when we say, what does it mean to be successful in evangelization? And mm-hmm. we might be talking about this on another episode, but we, we really talk about taking the initiative to share Jesus Christ, motivated in love, in the power of the Holy Spirit, but we leave the results to God. Because it's not up to us to change anyone's heart or anyone's life. Mm-hmm. Really, that's the work of God, but... The, the beautiful thing about it is that God still entrusts us and he wants to, to use us to cooperate in that great work. So if we take the initiative and, and we're doing it in, motivated in love and the power of the Holy Spirit, then we can trust that he's going to do great things with that.
1: Yeah, I think you're right. I think we are going to talk about that, unpack it in, in another podcast. But that's just such a helpful definition of what it means to, quote unquote, successfully witness, you know, mm-hmm. to take the initiative to be proactive, take the initiative to work in the power of the Holy Spirit, who is a principal agent of evangelization and to do it in love. Mm. Cause you know, a lot of things we do in life will fail, but love, what we do in love will not fail because love does not fail. Yeah. And then just mm-hmm. that freedom of leaving the results to God. Like that's, our job is to evangelize, not convert.
2: Yeah. Again, it's belong, right? Absolutely. Like belong. Yeah. in it, it, I mean, belong is a limited word, but mm. what we're talking about is all these things, right? Belong is like yeah. loving somebody unconditionally and, you know, yeah. emotional belonging, spiritual belonging, like all those kinds of places where we can have a, a big enough view of God that we can hold these things mm. in, in tension yeah. and let him kinda do his thing. The other thing I'm reminded of is when we were talking about, okay, what is Proclaim gonna be? Um, we said, you know, if people, if people do what we're asking and encouraging and hopefully inspiring them to do, we think we can promise that they'll see God move, hmm. you know? And so mm-hmm. this is an invitation to see God move. And I, I don't think it's always going to be, it, uh, in fact, I can guarantee you it's not going to be clean. We've yeah. talked about this. It's going to be messy. Yeah. Um, and we're not necessarily going to see God move in that person in the way that we, in our limited view of eternity, can see what's going to happen to them. But I think we are going to see God move in us Mm. Probably even more so than in others at times. And I think that the the disciple, the missionary disciple's life is one way we can see God move hmm. and that this whole movement is an invitation to to do so.
0: I love that. I think it's it's so true. Like, um as an evangelist, as a missionary, I know that my faith has been strengthened through the process and through taking those little steps along the way and I see God work um, in my own confidence and in my own abilities. Um, I see Him moving even in ways that I sometimes, like, I'll say something and I'll be like, where did that come from? Like, I, did, mm-hmm. I didn't even, you know, it's not even it's not even really me. I just know that the Holy Spirit has kind of taken that conversation and, and stepped in. And so, yeah, we definitely, like, as evangelists, have that privilege of seeing God work in our own lives and, and through us. Um, and if you're lucky, sometimes you get those little glimpses as well of being able to see him work in other people Mm -hmm. to see conversion happen. And it never seems to happen in your timeline or in the way that you necessarily expect it. But if your eyes are open, you can certainly see the ways that God is working in others too. Mm
1: -hmm. John Paul II said, faith is strengthened when it's given to others. Mm -hmm. And when I look back at my time, you know, approaching 30 years of, of of trying to, you know, live the life of the disciple and all that, you know, there's certain formation that I've experienced that's outstanding and, and certain teachers that have come in and they've all been very good. But what has strengthened my faith the most is to see him move in the lives of, of other people, you know, because I sometimes have this idea that, well, he'll work in this person's life and maybe not that person. And then he just profoundly works in that person's life. And it's like, you are real, like you (laughs) are a God that keeps your promises and you want relationship with people and you will, you know, do anything that you need to do. So yeah, I think it's a great invitation to see God move because when we put ourselves out there, God's never outdone in generosity. He's never outdone in any way, shape or form. And if we operate in love, you know, he he is definitely gonna move. He's gonna honor all those risks. I just really believe it to be true. That's great.
2: Let's, let's, uh, shift gears a little bit. We're talking Mm -hmm. about spiritual, spiritual multiplication on, on this episode. What does that look like? You know, can you give us like a framework of understanding or, or something on those lines that we can kind of understand what the process looks like or from Mm -hmm. your experience? Um, what does that look like?
0: Well, it, it can be so simple in so many ways. Um, you know, in, in light of what we're encouraging through this movement is that we're encouraging people to to use a program like Alpha or like Discovery. And so a small group meets regularly. You invest in those relationships, proclaiming the gospel, equipping them to to know how to live as a disciple, equipping them also to know how to share and articulate their faith with others. And then at the end of that that journey together, you're going to commission them to go out and to repeat the process for other people. So, you know, an example that we've, we've seen that's been growing like crazy is um, there's a parish in Oklahoma City that's been, that's been doing this. And so they started with two people going through the small group faith study series. Um, they started with Discovery, they went, through, um, they went through a year of formation together using the the cco resources from discovery all the way up to commission and at the end of that time those two people went back to their parish and they introduced it to 25 others so they had three small groups of about eight eight or nine people that were meeting regularly at the end of that year of journeying with those 25 they commissioned them to go out and those 25 went on to lead groups that had over 70 people. Wow. Um, and this fall they'll be launching out again into their fifth or sixth generation. And they're expecting that there could be 40 to 50 small groups meeting yeah. regularly at their parish. Hmm. And it started with two people. And it was only like about five or six years ago that they started. So really just shows how quickly it can grow and it has grown in that in that particular parish. And relatively simply, you know, it's one person leading a small group of people over the course of a year and then commissioning them to go and do the same for others.
2: So the thing that goes in my mind is like, oh, wow, that's this exceptional thing that's happening far from me sitting here in Vancouver, Mm -hmm. you know, British Columbia. Is that like speak to the doubt that's in my heart? Mm -hmm. Um, And I think the doubt in others of like, oh, that's you know great god is blessing that thing over there but that'll never happen to me
1: yeah it's an anomaly
2: anomaly yeah, yeah. that's not how the lord works in the ordinary yeah he guys what would you say to that
0: i guess i would probably just encourage people to uh to try it and see what happens right what do you have to lose if you take the chance to to really like really go all in and try it for a year um, try to commission, to proclaim, to equip, to c- commission the people that you're journeying with for a year and see what happens. See what God does. Um, you know, we, we see it happening on campuses across Canada um, through CCO. We see, like, the growth of the Alpha movement all over the world. Um, we see, even within our own diocese, that there are parishes that have been, that have been trying this, that have been using it that I've had over half of their parish come through discovery mm. um, and come to know the Lord in a more personal way. So it's not just a, a remote thing that happens in small corners of the world, but it, it can happen anywhere, and it, it is happening in, in multiple places. So in a sense, I would just kind of encourage, encourage you, if you if you do have a doubt, like what do you have to lose? If you really took it to heart, believe it, give it a shot for a year and see what happens. Yeah.
1: And of course, I mean, these folks who started it, the two people, Oklahoma City, these weren't theologians, you know, these weren't PhDs, just normal folks. But what's interesting about the story, Amber, is that they started with the mindset that from the get go, they have a multiplication mindset. So they were leading people in faith studies and yes, they want conversion first and foremost. They want them to encounter Jesus, of course, but you can have another objective in mind that is to form, equip, invest so that they are ready then to spread the faith and that became the Mm -hmm. norm. Right, that became their their way of doing it, and everybody kind of had that that idea running through their mind. So that's the strategic ministry um, piece again.
2: Yeah, can I jump? Let me yeah. round that question out a little bit. It's easy to understand proclaim, like as a as a step one. Hey, mm-hmm. I gotta tell people about Jesus. Break down what equip and commission mm. look like more tangibly. Yeah. So.
0: Yeah, for sure. So when it comes to equip, like, I would say that there's kind of two sides of, of that that we would focus on. One is equipping people to live a life of holiness. So that might be, include things like making sure that they have a good understanding of the sacraments and how the sacraments nourish their faith. For some people, it might bring mean bringing them back to the sacraments, bringing them back to Mass or bringing them back to the sacrament of reconciliation. It also would include things like equipping them to know what does it look like to have a personal prayer time? How do I do that? How can I, how can I encounter the Lord? How can I know what the, the voice of the Lord sounds like? And how can I um, make time in my busy life to, to take time to pray, um, to read the scriptures and to, to listen to the voice of the Lord? So the one side of it is, is really just about learning how to live as a disciple, how to live a life of holiness in relationship with Jesus. The other side of the equipping is really about understanding and equipping them to know how do I go about beginning to talk about my faith with other people? Sure. I've encountered the Lord and I'm now starting this life of prayer, but how do I even broach the subject? How do I start a spiritual conversation? What's the message that I have to share as a missionary? How can I articulate what God has been doing in me? How can I talk about my own testimony, my own story in a way that doesn't make me sound crazy? Um, Mm -hmm. So really helping to equip them with the tools that they need to be able to begin a spiritual conversation, to know how to navigate a spiritual conversation, to know what the tools of a missionary are, what is the message that I have to share, what is my own story, and how can I articulate that? So that's the other side of the equipping. So equipping for growth and holiness, but also equipping them for mission, to know how to share their faith with others. And once we have a, a certain degree of, of confidence that, that we've equipped them well, then we have to actually like, put them out in the fields. Right? We have to test, test what, we've, what we've taught them. And the best way to, to really know for sure if you've learned something is to try to teach it to someone else. Mm. Right? It's the best way to continue to learn. And so commissioning them means really sending them out and helping them to know, okay, how do I choose who I'm going to share my faith with? Who in my life am I called to share my faith with? Helping mm. them to know who that might be and then giving them again the tools and the skills the knowledge and the the attitudes that they need to be able to then step out confidently to begin the process of sharing their faith with another to begin proclaiming to another person Hmm.
1: that's great and i want to do a bit of a plug here because there's different aspects of the movement i mean here we are on the podcast but some of the things that you talk about in terms of equipping are going to be things that we are going to provide training for within the movement, you know, h- helping people develop their testimonies and knowing what the, the gospel is and how it's proclaimed and all those things. So, um, some of those pieces, people who are into who, who are engaging in evangelization and they have a multiplication mindset, the movement is going to help them to equip people as well. Mm-hmm. So just putting a little mm-hmm. plug in there for some of the other things that we got going on with the movement.
2: Yeah. Proclaim is not about, telling people to go and share the mm-hmm. gospel. Um, what is being provided is all these things as well. It's like yeah. we, as a, um, a collaboration with so many people are trying mm-hmm. to, Hey, how do I, I, I have a desire, help me do it. And I think that's at the heart of, yeah. of what we're doing is, is helping. So we're yeah. going to have a lot more
1: resources than that. Yeah, absolutely. One of the, one of the phrases that we use is that proclaim is putting legs to people's hearts. So certainly conferences and things like that will inspire and exhort and get people motivated and enthused to go out, but like you said, not leaving them orphans, but coming alongside with exactly what is needed in terms of training in the moment. So
2: and community, you know, and I, community. I, absolutely, I need training. I need community, and that's what this whole thing's about. So, yeah, if somebody hasn't experienced that yet, yeah. um, as you're listening to this podcast, like that's our hope for you to kind of join, uh, join with all of us as we try to serve the Lord together. So. Yeah.
0: And in in a sense, again, it comes back to Jesus' model, right? When Jesus um, commissioned his disciples to go out, he never sent them alone. Mm. And I think that's one of the beautiful things about this Proclaim movement is that we're bringing a community together so that people know they're not out there doing this on their own, but that we're walking with them. We're going out two by two. We're going out in community, um, supporting one another. And Jesus also always brought people back together. Mm-hmm. Um, to, to hear about and to debrief their experience. And so, this is going to provide a great opportunity for people to be able to continue to, to learn from one another and to share our experiences as we, as we try to do this work.
2: Yeah. So, go and corner your friends with somebody else. <laughs> <laughs> Just kidding.
1: <laughs> That's the takeaway. And <laughs> bring your Bible to yeah. thump.